you open your phone and what app do you fire up? Starbucks, Uber, maybe play a tile puzzled game. Odds are the apps that you're using most frequently are called PWAs, progressive web apps. And they're not just for killing time or pre-ordering a pumpkin spice Lucas at the Bucks. It's what customers are starting to expect from your store when they visit you on mobile or wherever they happen to be. And while headless commerce is still in its very early days, COVID has only accelerated its adoption from both brands and customer expectations alike. As you'll hear, it's still pretty technical to create a headless commerce experience, but you no longer need a CTO or webmaster to get you off the ground. You don't even need a stable of in-house developers to bring your store headless either. In this episode of Rolled Up, I'm talking to Shogun co-founder Nick Rochenbush, where we define what headless commerce is, you look into if it's appropriate for you or your store, and what impact it has had on the early adopters who are using it. It's still very early for headless commerce, but e-commerce has changed and grown. And headless commerce is a strategy that is growing with this ever-changing landscape. You know, with COVID, when you have a lot of these products that maybe were being sold heavily in Sephora or in Target or in Walmart, and all of a sudden, like, foot traffic being closed, these companies had to think, oh, wait, like, how do we continue to get product to our loyal customers? And so a refocus on their web properties and having more of a focus on the digital channel as opposed to the brick and mortar channel. What about that special announcement? I've been a big fan of Shogun Page Builder for the better half of the last decade. And whether I'm recommending it to friends, colleagues, or strangers alike, I've just been a big fan of the products that Shogun has put out there. Which is why when Nick asked if he could sponsor me last fall as I was starting to launch Rolled Up both this podcast and my podcast network, I said, absolutely you can. So if you enjoy this episode of Rolled Up, let me know on Twitter or wherever you hear about it. And if you are checking out Shogun Frontend after listening to this episode, even months or years down the line after it's published, let the team over at Shogun know, just as a little way to say thank you once again from me for sponsoring not only the podcast, the network, but me as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Rolled Up in whichever progressive web app you use to listen to your podcasts. This is a really special episode for me because while everyone's a founder, not necessarily everyone has had an impact on me personally the way that Nick has through Shogun. And I used Shogun uh, for years at my business Treats Happen. I'm slowly for my rolled up website, building it out with Shogun in what is, we'll debate if it's a, a headless build or not. But in a lot of ways, it was almost like we as a small business were able to do, and we were just talking about in the green room, almost diet headless or gateway headless to get into that. And while going through my messages, I was talking to to other entrepreneurs in 2016 saying, no, Shogun's the way to go. And as weird as this is to admit, I hope I'm not the only one that's done this, but I remember seeing ads, whenever I would see ads for different brands that were similar to Treats Happen, so they were consumable, natural products, I'd message 
the brand, like the page, because I, I just assumed it was other owners running a lot of their own ads too, and sometimes it was. And I remember recommending you to one brand that said they were trying to make a big push for retail. And I said, well, here's what our retail page looks like. They said, well, that looks great. Did, who did you use? And I said, well, I did it myself using Shogun. And so I opened up uh, a friendship with this other brand, which ultimately helped me sell into TJX here in Canada. So Winners, HomeSense, Marshalls. And I just love these little trees of where one decision can go down the road. And then obviously once I started working at Gorgeous, we saw each other a lot more. Uh, Romain, the CEO of Gorgeous, is an investor in Shogun. So the, I don't know if you call them tentacles or ties, but it just goes so, so deep and so far beyond an app vendor client relationship. And now you're sponsoring the Pitstop podcast series. So Nick, I don't say this lightly, but it, it really truly is an honor to to be doing this with you. Man, Lucas, it's an honor to have been working with you for so many years and to have been on on this journey with you. Um, I, you know, I absolutely recall, you know, way, way back in the day in summer of 2016, mm -hmm. working on, you know, on Shogun page builder support requests. Um, with you mm -hmm. uh, when you you know after you had signed up and um, and so it's just so cool to see how your journey has progressed you know onto the tech side and you know and just into becoming this you know influencer in the e-commerce space and uh, yeah it's uh, it's been great. I don't want this to be Nick and Lucas talking about the the glory days because that was a time for BC four years before COVID and maybe some of the foundations of what we were doing work, but I really want to dig into the future of e-commerce and what it will look like in sure. 2021, because that's where things have really changed. And the Nomad case study just came out and you did something I've never really seen a case study do, which is turn down the numbers because the numbers were really impressive. And then you adjusted the bell curve down to talk about the COVID impact. So let's talk about how COVID changed the e-commerce landscape, because I think that we both know it because we've been living it. But for someone who's not an e-commerce vendor in the ecosystem, how would you say COVID changed for brands like Nomad that sell consumer electronics? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Tell me exactly what part of the case study that you're kind of, you know, latching onto there. And here I'm also going to pull it up just myself so I can speak to it very specifically. COVID changed a lot of things and e-commerce numbers across the board were up as people started to go online. And obviously gorgeous, we saw this with more people just wanting support inquiries. You really didn't see too many uh, websites going down. So, I mean, shout out to Shopify, BigCommerce, Etsy, all of them for, for sticking around. But for someone who's not in the industry, how would you explain the impact that COVID had on, on e-commerce? Initially, when, you know, from my perspective, when COVID initially hit and brick and mortar had, you know, basically had to close shop because of quarantine, you saw a refocus on D2C that I think was actually really healthy for the industry. Because I think D2C started to actually get kind of a bad rap because it's like, oh, well, you're taking just like... You're going to the factories, putting your stamp on it, claiming it you're cutting out the middleman, but it's the same price. You're claiming it's D2C. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Well, or massive markup, right? You know, you know, take a product, uh, put your own brand on it, go raise a, raise a bunch of venture capital and yeah. Yeah. But I think that what happened, you know, with COVID when you have a lot of these products that, you know, 
Um, maybe we're, we're being sold heavily in Sephora or in Target or in Walmart, you know, or whatever in Whole Foods, whatever, right? Um, you know, and all of a sudden, like foot traffic being closed, these companies had to think, Oh, wait, hold on. Like, how do we continue to get product to our loyal, you know, customers? And so a refocus on their web properties, uh, specifically their websites and, having more of a focus on the digital channel as opposed to the brick and mortar channel. Mm -hmm. I think that was a really big trend. And I think that across the board, you just saw e-commerce going up because people were going outside, right? And so they they wanted to still obviously maintain their level of shopping behavior or maybe even increase it a little bit. Um, but, you know, they needed to uh, to order, you know, and have it have it delivered to their home. You know, I think a lot of people got the sense of, but if you're not in the industry, it's possible that you wouldn't know to the extent that it occurred. And if you go and you look at some of these charts, uh, you can see that massive spike that occurred um, for e-commerce uh, back in uh, the spring of 2020. And so that's why when we were doing, you know, we're, we're very serious about data at Shogun. And for the Nomad case study, we actually had like Elevar come in as a third party to just assess like the results that we saw with them. But we wanted to really like make sure that we were removing any factors that like weren't actually attributed to our software, but were like, you know, macroeconomic factors like, you know, uh, like the ones we were just talking about. I have a ton of respect for for you for for doing that. And I think it just speaks it speaks a lot of volume to to the quality of yourself as a founder or co-founder, but also Shogun. And I really wanted to talk a little bit more about the why rather than the how part of the the Nomad case study. So if you are interested in it, it's on the Shogun website. There'll be a link in the description. You can ask me for it, ask Nick for it. More than happy to, to share those results. But I want to talk a little bit about the why and why Headless is so, so powerful and driving those results. So yeah, sure. let's start there. Let's start with the increase in conversion rate. So why does a Headless build help a brand like Nomad? And if you're unfamiliar with Nomad, a lot of premium electronics all the way up from charger cables to a lot of premium stands and just very, very nice electronic gear, especially for your home office. But why is Headless so so powerful for brands like Nomad that want to increase their conversion rate? So in this case, and I mean, let's first like define like the way that the term Headless is used uh, in, as it pertains to like the e-commerce industry. Because like there's the developer definition of headless, which I think headless content management, which is give me your content, give me your images, give me your videos, give me your, you know, your copywriting, right? Your text. And we'll store that in like something like a headless CMS, like a contentful. And then we'll write code to point to where that content should go. And whether that's a website, whether that's a mobile app, whether that's like a smart TV interface, I think that's like the developer definition of headless, right? Mm -hmm. But for e-commerce industry purposes, the way that headless term is generally used is that the company is going to use a specialized piece of technology, be that a software solution or just code, um, that is not the e-commerce platform for their visual presentation layer, which is a fancy way of saying uh, the part of the website that the shoppers can see when they visit the site, right? Um, so you basically can think about it as kind of something specialized for the front end of the tech stack um, versus, uh, you know, the e-commerce platform, which, you know, is still obviously a very, very important component in managing all of the back office uh, for the business, right? You know, your inventory management, you know, discount codes, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's, you know, 
platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce do so, so much, right? They're, you know, they're, they're truly, truly platforms. I was talking to someone about that earlier today. What you can do out of the box with these platforms, rewind 10 years or a little bit further when I was in university, you would need full on enterprise software with multi-year contracts. Oh, yeah. Like, Oh yeah, you have to hire like a, a, whole, a whole team. Well, just going back to Treats Happen, it would cost $100,000 minimum just to get off the ground. Sure. Just yeah. to get off the ground and be able to sell into wholesale. And the technology makes it pretty easy to be in all of these places. And if we were to just give a really clear explain it to a five-year-old definition of what headless commerce is, would it be fair to use the analogy of if a shopper accesses your store from the mobile app on their phone, the tablet website, their desktop computer, or logging in to make a wholesale purchase order? All of those interfaces, the end buyer or shopper uh, sees that's the headless part of e-commerce that then goes and feeds back into that backend system uh, with the big commerce Shopify that then ties into the inventory and everything there. Yeah, those are all like the different points. It's but yeah, it's basically like wherever the front end shows up, wherever the interaction layer, the you know the uh, visual presentation layer emerges for the shopper is is a good way to define it. Now back to your original question of like why are these results. Uh, for Nomad, the way they are is, well, they're going with a particular style of approach to headless uh, that's called, uh, for the performance layer, that's progressive web application technology. And that is one aspect of, you know, our platform, uh, Shogun Frontend, is that its output is a progressive web application. And it's kind of like all the benefit of a native mobile application, but right in the browser. So it doesn't really require you going to the app store to download. Now, the trick that it's doing is basically the first page load is actually like a normal page load, but during that moment, it actually goes and loads the entire site, which makes every click on the site perceptively sub-second, right? And so that's why you're seeing, you know, uh, a reduction in bounce rate, right? They saw like a 15.6% reduction in bounce rate, and they saw a 25% increase in e-commerce. That's dollar transaction conversion rate as a result of that. That's ROI for them, right? You know, 25% more. Very, very compelling results. Anybody who, uh, who owns a store knows that 25% uh, uh, lift in conversion rate is, uh, is uh, <laughs> you know, pretty nice. <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to make this an infomercial, yeah, no. but any one of those stats on its own, you could sell a course or charge a lot of money to guarantee those results. Like if you were a consultant and you said, look, pick one of these three packages or do a bundle, most brands really want to increase their conversion rate. They really want to reduce their bounce rate, especially this time of year when ads are so high and they really want to increase that, that revenue per session. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like progressive web application technology and that style of headless is very popular because of the performance. And we can go into how like PWAs are, you know, are, have traditionally been built and kind of, you know, what we're doing, if, if you'd like, happy to talk about that. But, but I'll say this, like, PWA is not the only style of headless, right? Like you can totally do a headless build that doesn't have progressive web application technology whatsoever and actually does not increase the speed of the site. And some folks for them, headless is much more about content management. You know, a big driver for headless can be, um, internationalization. Mm-hmm. And you basically, you have really complex content management needs, um, where you want to have different content 
for like, you know, 12 different uh, locales and you want to, you know, show translated text for, you know, uh, uh, Spain versus France versus the United States. And maybe you even want to have localized content and show different images, you know, to people that are in those, those based on where they are visiting, you know, uh, based on where they're located and they're visiting the site. So I think that like internationalization can be a big driver of headless. Mm-hmm. So there, there's many different ways, but it, each one of them is solved by using a different piece of technology for the visual presentation layer than the e-commerce platform itself in the, in our definition of headless. And I just want to go back to what you were saying about the different locations and regions because it tie, it does tie into COVID with, let's say, restaurants aren't really the greatest e-commerce example, but if there are restaurants who are now offering, say, grocery service and they have two or three locations, it's nice to be able to give that local store right up front, not choose your region. And if you've been on the Costco website, I don't know if they just really respect privacy or don't know what an internet cookie is. It's every time you have to select your region and it's just frustrating for a company so big. I think it's so remarkable that businesses that have been started within the last year or five years are able to offer that localized experience in what is essentially a very intricate piece of technology, which we just discussed. Yeah, yeah. That, that use case I would hope would be not too difficult to solve. Um, you know, if it's, if it's just, you know, if all of the locations for that, like in that, that specific scenario, like if all the restaurants are, um, you know, in the United States and, and the, you know, the language across all of it is going to be, you know, U.S. English. Um, I think that, that, yeah, when you, when you find companies though, that they're, they are selling products in, uh, the United States, they're selling in Canada and mm-hmm. they need to have English and French, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're also selling in Spain. They're also selling, uh, in Portugal, they're also selling in Germany. And all of a sudden you've, you know, you've got, you're like, okay, wow, we need to have all of our content translated into all of these different languages. And it's possible that you want to show like different images, um, you know, uh, to your audience in Spain versus your audience in Canada. Like all of a sudden your content management needs, your visual merchandising needs are becoming quite complex. And I think that at that point, the native content management tooling in some of these e-commerce platforms just like isn't, you know, isn't quite robust enough because you're starting to kind of get it more like a, I hesitate to use the word enterprise, but like an enterprise use case for content management. Well, it's the difference of growing your business from a small business, you know, a mom and pop shop like we were with Streets Happen to to a full business where you have P&Ls and accountants on staff with different regions. And we tried it. It's one of my top three mistakes as a founder. I follow the data. We were on Canadian dollars. We knew that to increase conversion rate, to have a USD site, it would increase our profits by by keeping the dollars the same. And 90% of the web traffic was coming from the US. So we thought, okay, just clone the Shopify site, put it the US redirect, and it just was a flop. All the sales were still Canada. And it's those kinds of decisions that are just, it's not insignificant to do to go and set up in in other regions when you are running it as, for lack of a better word, an enterprise. And it's, yeah, I, I think that internationalization is like, it's actually quite a strong consideration and, and more complex. I used to work at a 
Translations.com quite a while ago, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. What, what a .com uh, web brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this would be a long, long time. This was back in 2009. It's like 11 years oh, ago. Wow. But anyways, yeah. So back to it though. Yeah, there's different, you can approach headless in many different ways and you can choose to go headless for different pain points, right? It doesn't always need to be, oh, I have performance woes. It doesn't always need to be, oh, I have super complex content management needs. It can be either of those in isolation. It can be a combination of those things or it can be either. It could be something else that you just want to, you know, for your whatever, for whatever reason, you want the, the architecture flexibility. You want a specialized piece of, uh, of software or technology for, you know, for the front end that's, you know, that's just different from your e-com platform. But that's headless in a nutshell. And we can kind of go into, you know, any of those or we can dive deeper into PWA if you're curious about, you know, uh, how that stuff gets built. But I am very curious about PWA, but I did have one more question on my list Please. and we were starting to dig into it and I really don't want to come back or ask a double-barreled question because I'll hear it from AML, but who should be considering headless? And so on one end, we have brands like Nomad where it's the goal is to increase the site speed and the conversion and they're at the size where it makes sense. And because they have a little bit more of a complicated product where you want to showcase the insides and they need a little bit more design capabilities that it does make sense for them to have the front end versus maybe the brands are a little bit smaller, but a little bit more international. So who should be considering headless when it comes to the front end? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think for Nomad, it was a mix of, I think the performance was definitely a very big consideration, but Nomad um, prior to um, launching on Shogun front end, they were very, very heavy. They were like power users of Shogun Page Builder. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for them, more control over visual merchandising and content management was also a pretty big driver for them. But I would say this, like if you are an e-commerce company and you're growing and your revenue is starting to get, I would say uh, more substantial, like something like more than a million dollars in annual uh, gross merchandising volume, and you're feeling pain around performance where you're like, my site is slow. And especially if you sell on heavily on mobile, if you know that your mobile accounts are like over 80% of your business, that's probably where you're going to be feeling most of the performance pain, right? Well, if you're running Instagram ads to swipe up, and if I have to think about how long I've been waiting for the page to load for a product I want to buy. Yeah. It's too long. It's real. It's if real. I start yeah. once a customer starts thinking about the load time, the, the sale's gone. It's lost. You've wasted your ad money. Yeah, yeah. People, I mean, if you think about just like the mindset that people are in when they're on Facebook, when they're on Instagram, like their attention span, right? Like if you're not loading, they're probably gonna want to go back to their the feed and like look at pictures of puppies and stuff, you know, as we all do, right? Yeah, of course. Like that's what we're there for. Yeah, totally. So like, yeah, they're they're not really going to have that patience to watch like a a blue loading bar, you know, at the at the top of the browser window for for that long. So I think that like if you are getting to a point where your revenue is substantial and you're you know you're highly mobile and you're having performance woes, like you've run like your page through Google PageSpeed Insights and you've just done some, you know, hey, like turn off your Wi-Fi, let your bars drop to two and just go like see how quickly your site loads and like you're kind of, you know, using both of those tests. Yeah, you should probably consider headless just, you know, on the basis of performance. I think that if you're also finding or, you know, even separate to that, if you're finding that your content management needs are just becoming more complex 
and that like you're you've you know you've really given the native content management tooling on these e-commerce platforms a fair shake because they do have some content management tooling capability, right? You know, Shopify's got sections, BigCommerce has a page builder, mm-hmm. Salesforce Commerce Cloud also has like page designer. Um, I think Magento might have something called like this Magento page builder. I think it used to be called like Bluefoot CMS. But basically like mm-hmm. you're you've given the native the native tooling a try or you've explored it or you tested it and you're just like, hey, you know what? I think that we're gonna run into content management um, or page building, right? You know, fancy page building, you know, visual merchandising limitations here. And we need something that's more robust, more flexible for bigger teams. Um, and we want it to be something that's low code, no code. Um, I think that also at that point, considering headless is a good move. Um, I think that also, if you know that you're going to end up pursuing an international strategy where you're going to have to manage content, you know, in, in a much more sophisticated way across multiple locales. Um, I think that that's a good consideration for going headless. I'm going to add one more in there. Yeah, please. Uh, and, and, and very rudely cut you off. But I think if you're being serious about your wholesale strategy, you just an easy place for sales reps to get information. If you're a distributor to get that information, show how you support your retailers. That as a channel to me deserves the same consideration as going international just for all the politics involved answering questions being able to find a lot of those answers i think that that should be another very important consideration and it's interesting talking about d2c getting the bad rep but seeing others like chris cantino on twitter really talking about going more wholesale if you are planning to do seven figures of revenue in wholesale just like you would probably hire a sales rep to go out and knock doors or manage the relationships with your distributors, give them the tools that they need, which could be that portal for ordering more where it's net 30 terms or net 90 terms. Really, I think that wholesale should be another consideration as well if you are thinking about doing headless. Yeah, definitely. And I think that actually, I really like what you just said. Like, I think that obviously, you know, with the really unfortunate events of the pandemic and this movement, this very organic movement towards direct to consumer and you know refocusing on web property right your your digital storefront mm-hmm. that's what it is like you should really think about it as an investment in your store as if you owned a brick and mortar store right like Absolutely. you're going to want to create an experience that's highly unique to your brand that's very creative and experiential and like you're going to want to invest a lot more thought and creativity and effort into visual merchandising like you would if you had a, a you know, a physical storefront. In addition to that, like if you had a physical storefront, you would hire people to work the store. You know, you would. (laughs) You would. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because otherwise you're in the vending machine business. Yeah, for real. Totally. Yeah. And so I would think like, you know, it might not be an exact correlation, but it's kind of like, think about like, you know, performance technology, allowing your clients to move effortlessly, you know, from collection page, PDP, collection page, PDP, collection page, PDP, because that's like a really common dance, right? Your performance technology is kind of like your salesperson that's ushering, you know, your shopper, you know, through the store, um, allowing them to, you know, to very quickly, you know, view items uh, that they find interesting and show them new items um, and stuff like that. So I do think that- Well, think about shoe shopping where uh, to use the collection PDP example, 
if you're waiting for the shoe salesperson to go back, go to the back and keep waiting five minutes to try on a new pair of shoes, all of a sudden your eight-year-old Birkenstocks, you walked in and there, just fine. You walk on out. Yeah. People don't want to wait to buy. And you're already asking them to do something pretty difficult, which is to give you money. Don't make them wait. Yeah. Totally. I love that that example. And I think that we've we've drank enough headless Kool-Aid for now. So I'd love to move over and just really hear you talk about PWAs. And progressive web apps. Yeah, it's super fascinating because, like, the logical quite the logical next question that you'd have is like, okay, well, <laughs> if progressive web application technology is so great um, and it's so effective, and you can get like you know with Nomad's result increasing your e-commerce conversion mm-hmm. rate by twenty five percent, why isn't everybody doing it? Uh, it would be a no brainer, right? Like, who wouldn't want that tech? And this was something we discovered that like progressive web applications are really, really complex to build. Um, and I'll talk to you about how you build one. And if you want to, you know, build, build one from scratch, you know, hiring, uh, you know, developers, agencies, there's a lot of great ones out there, um, to build from scratch. That's certainly an option. Mm-hmm. And for some that are very, very developer centric, I think it's, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's worth consideration. So here's how you build a PWA. Uh, you know, the thing where you can basically get your, your e-commerce website to load, you know, have no load time. Um, so first you need to get some engineers who, who know JavaScript and, uh, they need to know two different JavaScript frameworks. They got to know one like react.js or view.js, um, for coding the, uh, the PWA. Now, in order to do the instant like load trick, you also need a server side rendering framework. So it's like a Gatsby.js. Well, I'm writing this down as you're saying it, and I'm trying yeah. to keep it. We're at step two, and I'm yeah, lost. Yeah, step two. Yeah, yeah, there's six steps. So yeah, so the first one's React.js or Vue.js. The second one is a server-side rendering framework like a Gatsby.js or Next.js. Now, when you go headless, you're actually no longer going to be using the platform CDN, Content Delivery Network for serving, you know, for serving, serving your site. So you would need to go and get your own, you know, set up your own CDN. You could use, um, you know, Fastly, Akamai, you could use Netlify. I think Netlify is a little more than the CDN um, and is pretty popular for the technical crowd in um, uh, uh, for, for like platform. But anyways, okay. So two JavaScript framework, CDN. Now, if you want any bit of control over editing like text, images, any type of content without having to tap your developer each time, You would integrate a headless content management system like Contentful, Prismic, Sandy, right? Now, to be clear, like these CMS are quite powerful. I'm actually a big fan of these companies. They are how a developer thinks about CMS. So like if you're expecting a page builder, like Contentful is not a page builder. It's a very robust CMS, but it's not a page builder. So it's literally just like you're going to ingest your images, text, et cetera, and the developer write code to point to where those assets should go on the site. Okay. So two JavaScript frameworks, CDN, CMS, that makes four. The last two components um, are middleware. And so number five is middleware for the platform. So middleware, it sounds fancy, but all it is is it's just kind of like software or that sits at like the API layer between your headless build and like your e-commerce platform, like your big commerce or your Shopify. And so what that middleware does is it pulls the data from the e-commerce platform that the front end needs to know, stuff like product inventory, right? It pulls that data up from the back end into the front end. So you got to write that middleware to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, the last thing, and this is very, very commonly, this is a big uh, debate, is like, oh, well, if you go headless, you got you lose the functionality of your third-party applications or 
by writing them the same way, the API calls would cause drag on the page and defeat the point of the PWA. <laughs> so you lose. Yeah. So you're gonna, you go, you all this. Yeah. You do all this. And then, yeah. So, so that a lot of folks are like, well, you're, you're going to have to lose your functionality with Yotpo or Clavio or Gorgeous or whatever. Right. And that's a bummer because those companies are awesome and merchants rely on them. Um, so, so you actually don't need to lose that functionality. Um, but you also don't want to write the integration the normal way because generating an API call is going to, you know, again, cancel out the performance gains. So what you got to do is you got to write middleware, that special type of software that sits in between the PWA build and those third party applications, um, to pull in many cases, pulling the third party data from like Yotpo reviews into something like your CMS so that you've got all of your review data in a structured, organized fashion inside of like your CMS. So you don't need to generate an API call upon page load. You can just serve it out the front end without having to make, make an API call because you, you, the data is in your CMS. So if you're sitting here and you're like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, how am I going to build all that? Yeah, that's, that's actually kind of the point, right? Mm -hmm. And that's uh, a lot of emer merchants arrive at that conclusion. They're like, and, and to be frank, you know, even, even some service providers are like, it sounds like you're talking about building software. Like that's a lot different, even from doing something like a complex custom theme, like that, you know, like that type of architecture is more akin to software development than it is to uh, website development, right? Well, just reading this, all of it, all I could think of was I need at least one dev full time who can't take vacations because if I built that out and it broke oh, this yeah, time of year, sure. I'd be screwed. That was my first fear. And my second fear was uh, for inventory APIs. If you do get, say, a big wholesale order and this is like problems. I'm pulling this out of the file of problems I wish I had. But let's say you're sending out an email and you have you're a big company. You have, say. 500,000 emails that this is going to hit. It might take 20 minutes to process all of that, all of those emails. So by the time that the recipient 500,000 is getting that email, the inventory levels for them to go to the website and purchase are no longer in, in sync. And during that time, your distributor just bought out the rest of your palette. So now you have customers trying to buy products that aren't there, but your inventory is not syncing up. So you're going to have to go back to the customers, refund the money and say, sorry, we oversold. So bad. Yeah. And to keep inventory current from like pulling that data up from platform, use like a mechanism called like uh, service workers uh, to, you know, to, to update that in real time, like with, with running, in the way that I described, like running a background job to Yotpo to go fetch reviews, like who cares if like the latest review takes an additional 60 seconds to show up, right? Yeah, like a review yeah, from yeah, 2 yeah, p.m. Yeah. Well, when I'm buying at four, it doesn't make a difference. To 201, right? It's, it's not gonna be that big of a deal, but like the inventory, that's gotta be something that's done in real time. And so like that adds just an additional complexity. Like it's, it's possible technically, but it's you just like, yeah, you gotta you got be like a software engineer to figure this stuff out. That's like the TLDR, right? So, you know, and I, I love what you said earlier, Lucas, like, and this is why I think software is so great is because like back in the day, if you wanted to, st before like, you know, Shopify, big commerce, all this, if you wanted to, you know, create a, an e-commerce website, you're gonna have to hire a whole team of engineers to build it. Right. Yeah. Like it was, it was a huge undertaking. It was a, it was a software project. People would literally have to build a version of Shopify 
from scratch. You would need a CTO to sell some t-shirts. Totally, exactly. So like it's pretty mirac- and then that's basically what we're doing with our front-end focused platform, right? We're not an e-commerce platform, but what Shogun Frontend does do is it takes all six of those aspects that I mentioned to you, we productized all of that. Then in, on the content mm-hmm. management, and that's the performance side, right? And on the content management side, what we did was we created a really powerful experience manager, content management system, an integrated development environment that's low code, no code. And it's basically, you know, you use Shogun Page Builder. It's like a grown-up version of Shogun Page Builder. It's, it's Shogun Page Builder, but for larger companies. Um, and I mean, that, that's actually, it's, that's not a perfect description of it. Right. But it's like, um, if you're familiar with like the digital experience platform set, like Adobe experience manager, Acquia, EpiServer, Sitecore, we're more like, we built something more like that, except we've, um, reinvented it specifically for the e-commerce vertical for marketers and merchandisers and e-commerce teams. But it has those core components of like experience management, which again, I think is like kind of grown up page building, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And content management. Like we kind of have a miniature version of Contentful or of Sanity, like inside of Shogun Frontend. And content management system is really helpful because like who wants stuff to, to go dig into like 87 different pages to change like the H1 on each single one, right? You could just do it in the CMS, change it in one place and it'll ripple across site-wide and make the change site-wide. So yeah, so inside of our software, there's an experience manager, content management system. Those are no code. It has an, an integrated development environment where you can make, you know, um, basically code and then configure components to be codeless in the experience manager. And again, of course, it renders not a website, but it renders a PWA, right? Without you having to go uh, do those six things that I talked about. Like I said, I got lost at the second stage of JavaScript. So it's such a no brainer. And just because something works or you can do it in house, it's just, it's one of those things. I don't know if you listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast, but he would, uh, he, one of his favorite questions is to ask a guest, what would you put on a billboard if you just wanted to scream from the tops? And then just because it's fine or it works or you can do it in house doesn't mean that you won't, that that's where you'll be two years from now. Totally. Nick, thank you so much for, for coming on and just really going through what is headless, what are progressive web apps, where can people find you? And I think we'll have to do a part two of this at, at some point, but where can people find you and where can people learn a little bit more about Shogun front end? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. It's been such an honor to be on the show and I'd be, you know, very, very honored to come back for, for part two, uh, anytime. If you're interested in learning more about Shogun software, you can go to getshogun.com. That's G-E-T-S-H-O-G-U-N.com. And you can submit a form there. You can also email, uh, sales at getshogun.com. And, um, and our sales team has a bunch of information that they can provide about our software. And you can also find, you know, some of the information and research, uh, on the website in the blog section. Um, so I think that those are, are all pretty good resources. And yeah, again, just to, to summarize it, if you find that you're, you know, you're an e-commerce business, you're growing, uh, maybe you're, you know, you're now, you know, over, over a million annual revenue performance is top of mind for you. Your content management, your visual merchandising needs are becoming more complex. I think that headless really is a good consideration. Mm-hmm. 
If you're exploring headless commerce this year, I hope this episode gave you a little bit of clarity of how it works, really what it is, and if it's right for you. It's still early days, which, as you heard Nick say, means you have to be doing quite a bit of volume. I'd even say even more than what Nick said, at least a million dollars of revenue in two channels. So through your website and distribution or through your website in different areas, that's when it starts to make sense to explore headless commerce. But that barrier to entry is being lowered each and every single day. So if you just want to stay in the loop of what's going on with headless commerce, what the future of design looks like, head over to getshogun.com and sign up for their blog. You won't be disappointed that you did. If you're looking for tactical e-commerce advice, check out my other podcast, Pit Stop, where if you just search for Shogun, you'll see a few episodes talking about different ways to increase your conversion rates by exploring your About Us page, A-B testing a different homepage layout, and really getting everything out of Shogun that the app has to offer and I've been using for the last few years myself. I can't believe that we're closer to the wrap-up of season one of Rolled Up. This has turned out to be so much more than I originally thought it would be. The last guest as we round out, we've got Jeremy Kai, CEO of Italic, Yalitza Jean Charles, founder and CEO of Healthy Roots Dolls, possibly one or two other big names. As for the second piece of good news that I'm happy to announce today, we're officially renewed for season two. So make sure you have subscribed on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, because season two is going to be dropping in April. If you thought Rolled Up was already a top shelf business podcast, we still have a couple more shelves to go. So season two is going to be even better than season one. Make sure you're subscribed. And after all of that, I don't know about you, but I need a burrito. That bell means it's quick time and I'll see you next week for Rolled Up.